Hey everyone, welcome to the next level. I'm JVL here with Tim Miller and sitting in for Sarah Longwell, A.B. Stoddard, our newest bulwarker. A.B., you know, you're a, you're a, you're a good-hearted person, so you probably don't think this way, but, but for me, for me personally, one of the greatest delicacies of life is watching bad things happen to bad people. Mm. And yesterday, Kevin McCarthy, who in fairness to him has been a better speaker than I thought he would be, but is not a good guy. And yesterday he became the first speaker of the House in American history to be ousted from his position. Mm. Tim and I got to talk about this last night, and I had a near orgasm from schadenfreude. <laughs> what was your reaction? Near. Near. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, I want to make note of the fact that you did point out his speakership has been better than we anticipated. And yeah. I, too, was surprised. So while I, too, take guilty pleasure when people who defenestrate themselves for Donald Trump end up paying a very steep and embarrassing price, Humiliating, um, even you might say. I I do think that's awesome, but at the same time, I I think we need to make that point that Kevin surprised us yeah. at a few moments, and I think for that he's got every rich Republican on speed dial in this country, and they're going to give him some nice jobs because he didn't shut the government down. He's going to make some money, but he deserves the humiliation that came with this because of all of the things he has done to let people down. He's as greasy a player and a liar, unfortunately, as Matt Gates describes him as. And that, in the end, not only did he just allow himself to be speaker with a trapdoor that he could fall through every single day with, the motion, with one person bringing a motion to vacate his job to the floor, which came from pure ambition. But along the way, he's not really been a stand-up guy. So uh, I just want to, I, I just want to start giving JVL some credit for like in the Schadenfreude, we have to acknowledge that he still technically did the right thing, not on January 6th, not on so many things, but we did not default because of Kevin McCarthy. And it's doing the right thing, which is what cost him his job. That's the crazy part, right? Yes. This is the important part. He did do the right thing, and he we deserves credit for that. But the Republican Party as an institution is so broken that that was his that was his mortal sin. Yeah, right. Had he not done the right thing, voting to overturn the election, right. which is a thing he did. Right. That's how he got the job. Like he got the job by doing the wrong thing. Right. He got the job because he suckled up to Trump. He got the job because he gave in to Matt Gates and gave him this sort of Damocles by changing the rules to let him have a one vote motion. Like that's how he got the job by doing the wrong things, the anti-institutional things. Okay. And then he lost the job by doing the right things. It's a total inversion of what the incentives are in the Republican Party. So, so like, that's why I'm like a little less sympathetic when it's like, oh, well, you know, we got to give him credit. We got to keep him in there. It's like, no, I, no, the way for him to have kept the job by doing the right things is by working with Democrats and, ha make, and having Democrats help him. But like, he wasn't willing to do that, right? And so he put all of his eggs in the MAGA basket. And so like tough titties kind of, like this was inevitable. <laughs> so Tim, I have a real question about this because I do have a hard time reconciling why did he stay good on Ukraine? Why did he 
raise the debt ceiling, right? Those are the things which are harder to rationalize and understand than the like, well, wait a minute, why did he vote to overturn the election, right? Why did he start an impeachment court? This is the central conflict, right? I mean, you guys just said it. He voted to decertify Joe Biden's election to stay in his perch, right? And then once in his perch, he really wants to have a future after he got the oil painting making money. And truly, that's the Ukraine thing. It's always been, I mean, Kevin McCarthy believes in defending Ukraine. And he knows that's what Republican elites want. And so he, it was always this real kind of stomach ulcer for him to try to deal with that. And that's that's what's so complex about this. And it's not, I, I describe this not out of sympathy for him. It's just the facts. I mean, someone, I've been assured by members and former members for weeks, Ukraine will happen. Even this morning, Ukraine will happen. And they have no picture of the chaos ahead in terms of like this new, whatever they're going to, what are they having some kind of like confab next Tuesday? They're calling it like a, I don't know. It's like this pick your next speaker seminar. Um, No, it's like a candidate forum. A candidate forum. Yes. A candidate. I love that. And no one will make the case for Ukraine. It's just a given that if it's Steve Scalise, that, the establishment still actually believes in that, and many of the Republican members do, even if the radicals don't. Let me set you up, Tim. Watching all of this, I kept thinking about the chapter in your book, the excellent book, Why We Did It, by Tim Miller, a New York Times bestseller. When you were talking about the, the Republicans who viewed this stuff as just like a game, right, as if there were no actual... And I think McCarthy views like keeping the government from defaulting on its debt and doing Ukraine as like the real world. Right. And then this like voting to decertify and shaking hands and going thumbs up with Trump. And that's the game, right? None of that matters. This is, you know, of course, Joe Biden was going to be sworn in as president. What does it matter if I vote to overturn the election, right? Voters are going to turn on Trump because he's a loser. So what does it matter if I go down and give him a thumbs up? These are all just game things. Yeah, no, you're hitting too close to home, right? Because this is this was literally my mindset in, as a political operative. So I can say this. God, I hope I was never as blow-dried and, and sleazy as Kevin McCarthy, but the same <laughs> principle is there, right? Which was like the whole idea is like, oh, we have these campaigns, and you say what you need to say to win, and you smear people the way you need to smear them to win, and you say things you don't believe to win, and then there's another thing called governing, Right, that like matters, you know, and then and that's kind of the job for the governing people, right? And and this is this is like the common political strategist mindset. And I, and Kevin McCarthy at his heart is a political strategist. I think he saw himself as an operator. And I do think you can be a bad calculating person and also have true beliefs, right? Like humans are complicated. We're not like you know figures from movies. So like like bad guys have to be completely bad, rotten to the core, right? And, and I think that's true about Kevin. I think he had some some real beliefs, and I think that once he got there, he wanted to do the things that he thought were serious. And then I think that he could be like, well, we can have this fake impeachment inquiry true, and there there will be no downstream effects from that. There will be you know no negative externalities. Like you don't he doesn't think about all that. He's like that's just part of the stuff that I have to do. That's just the game stuff that I have to do in order to do this serious stuff. And that's how I can be self right. 
self-righteous. And that's how I can give that cloying self-righteous speech about how like people didn't consider all the serious things I did for the American people, right? He really believes that in his head because he's compartmentalized those two, the two types of actions. I just, just also really quick to the AB thing, just to put a really finer point on it, because we have the Rudy story about Rudy being drunk out this morning in the New York Times. Kevin McCarthy wants a Paul Ryan future, not a Rudy future, right? Like yeah. Paul Ryan left and he's on the board at News Corps and like he has a good life and like that is his exit strategy. He does not want to have an exit strategy where he can't pay for his legal bills and he's like peeing his pants at the cigar club on the Upper East Side, right? Like I think he's just... Kevin doesn't want to have to fundraise for himself. Right. right? He right. doesn't want to be sending out fundraising emails with WinRed. <laughs> Sorry, Welcome I to the missed... Next Level Podcast, A.B. It's no, a little but bit... I missed... I was reading a lot about the House Speaker chamber being paralyzed, trying to text with members this morning. I missed the Rudy story, so that's so dark. I, I may have exaggerated a little bit on the peeing. I may have exaggerated a little bit, but the general gist of it is that it was like a 15-year story of anecdotes about Rudy being drunk and how prosecutors are taking that into consideration when they judge you know, whether the seriousness of his claims, let's say, about the election. So I, I'm sorry to get us off track. I think that you're right, Tim, that, <laughs> that Kevin definitely did not see a GoFundMe page in his future and <laughs> right. really needed to shore up right. a stable plan. It's amazing. So two things, and then we'll move off of the McCarthy stuff. You guys tell me which order you want to take them in. First, should the Dems have rescued him? In I would secondly, like to take that first, but A.B., you go first. I have a shtick on this I've prepared, but A.B., you go first. I listened to JVL's reasoning about this, and I and there's a part of me that thinks, yeah, I mean, there, there are good reasons why. And especially the part about how, you know, you help reelect him, and then he's kind of this empty, greasy, wet pillowcase because he's been put back into the job by Democrats. But at the same time, I watch Margaret Brennan laugh on Face the Nation when he tried to say, like, in his that like happy puppy way that it was the Democrats' fault, and it was it was so beyond ludicrous and so didn't pass the laugh test that that I understand why Democrats were like, "Hey, man, that's like a little bit of a bridge too far." If you want us to like clean up your dirty diaper, we're actually not going to let you go out on a Sunday show right after. We provided more votes to keep the government open than you could and have you blame us. And so it's one of those interesting moments where it's like it shows once again, which always makes me feel empathetic for him, that he's really, really dumb. I've just always had this theory yeah. that Kevin McCarthy no, this is, is so profoundly true. dumb. And yes. it's like it sounds so mean to say it. But if you and you guys talked about this last night, that moment when he talked about the Benghazi hearings denting Hillary's approval is kind of all you need to know, but there's so many other anecdotes, some public, some private still, that really illustrate that Kevin McCarthy is profoundly dumb. And so- Do you have a dumb anecdote you want to share before I give my, before I take us to a serious place? No, 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 but go there. I'm just conflicted. I mean, I, I sort of saw the reasoning for it, but at the same time, well, let me um, let me let me let me offer back to you. And again, I don't fully believe this. I, I am just sort of turning it over my head. But sometimes the fair thing isn't the right thing and the right thing isn't fair. And so it is certainly true that absolutely fair for the Democrats to say, uh, 
oh, I'm sorry, you're going to trash us for all of this. We're the ones who helped to keep the government open. You've been a, a terrible dick. negotiator. Yeah, no thanks. <laughs> yeah, right, as, dick, as Tim Kevin. says, chow down. Have at it. On the other hand, I don't know, like if things get worse from here on in, it might have been better for the country to have a, an even more hobbled Kevin McCarthy there. That's That's all. Here's what I'd like to chime in, because... I particularly worry about this with Ukraine really more than anything else. Like the Ukraine thing, I'm deep, I'm happy to hear AB is texting with sources and people think that they're still going to figure this out one by hook or by crook. I think it's going to be really challenging now, much more challenging than it would have been had he stayed in there. And I think that's a legitimate reason to be concerned about this. On the other hand, I hate that everyone, even the even people who are sympathetic to Democrats, Right, Even like the lefty media and certainly the center right, never Trumper media or Matt Lewis types and like all those, you know, Joe Scarborough this morning who was lecturing, you know, Democrats, we need to be responsible. I hate that everybody just is like it's a fait accompli that the Republicans have to nominate a crazier person. Because oh, yeah. I know that, like, practically that's true. But I want to – there is a story – there is an instance of this. And and I, I'm sure my friend Jen Harris and our, and our other superfans in Texas will tell me that I don't have all the details. That's exactly right because I didn't live it. But Joe Strauss, who's a moderate Republican, who's the Speaker of the House in Texas, like, it was 10 years ago, maybe even 15 years ago now, that they had this. The Republicans were, were uh, you know, had control of the Texas House. There was an uprising. And Joe Strauss, with like 20 other Republicans and 70-ish Democrats, I might not have those numbers right, but but some breakdown like that, created a coalition government and ended up being Speaker of the House for 10 years. Joe Strauss is a bulwark man, a good, a good guy, a mainstream Republican, and he ended up running the tech. Now, there's some differences, right, in the way that Texas works, et cetera. But like, there's no reason that 20 Republicans couldn't go to Hakeem Jeffries and say, hey, why not Brian Fitzpatrick speaker? Everybody's like, oh, that's fantasy politics. That's fantasy. I guess. But like they did it in Texas. Why is it fantasy politics? Yeah, they did that in Texas. And if the Republicans can't get 218, and I think there's real reason to believe that they're going to have a lot of trouble getting to 218. I mean, Kevin McCarthy had an unprecedented number of ballots last time, and, and there's no clear alternative. If they can't get to 218, why is that fantasy? Why isn't it worth it for the Democrats to try to play that card and then get us to a place where, yeah, we can fund Ukraine. And yeah, maybe we can do a bunch of other stuff. I, again, I, I get that that's probably not going to happen, but I don't like it when everybody's like, oh, it's fate. Oh, if it's not Kevin, it's got to be Jim Jordan or Trump. Okay, I guess. Okay. Why? Well, it's the soft bigotry of low expectations, right? It's because people, people know who Republican voters are. They know what Republican voters want. AB, no? tell, tell, me I'm, tell me I'm fantasizing and hallucinating. JVL, did I just hear you correctly that you that you said, why is it fantasy politics? Well, hear me out. When I say, why is it fantasy politics? This is something I, I get very exercised about over the last <laughs> few weeks. If you are a right winger, you have been sitting around for the last 20 years saying, we need a president who will just refuse to back down to all the cucks and the liberals. We need a president who isn't afraid to say that uh, turncoat generals should be executed and shot. We need a president who's not afraid to say that he actually won elections than he lost, right? That's their fantasy politics. And they are living their fantasy. And it's working out really well for them. Really well. In fact, he's leading in all the general election matchup polling right now with the current Senate president, Joe Biden. So the right-wingers get to live in fantasy politics world and pay almost no price for it. But when you say that, you know, people in the middle like, huh, 
maybe these five Republican uh, House members from these swing districts should switch parties. That's, oh no, I'm so sorry. That's a fantasy world. Do you want unicorns and balrogs too? I don't understand it. Oh no, you do understand it. We can't have nice things because of course it's not a reality that the mostly from New York and California moderates and moderates in Biden districts are gonna form a coalition with Democrats and 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 have Brian Fitzpatrick become our speaker because How about we, David Valadeo? He voted to impeach. We could make him speaker. Democrats would yeah, support that. I think that Steve Scalise is likely to be the consensus pick. I don't think that it has to be a crazy. And I don't know. I mean, he is the consensus pick this morning. He has more support than the others. Yeah, my face was about whether or not he's they- crazy. I think the jury's still out about whether or not Steve Scalise is crazy. No, I was just going to say that. So we don't actually know what what concessions he will make right. to the nihilists. So that's that right. So it is still unknown. But as one Republican put it to me today, he can't shut the government down on November 17th. So one of the things that he would have to be explicit about to win is that he has to also work with Democrats to keep the government open on November 17th. And that's, as you guys have already discussed, the paths that Kevin got. He just pushed it too far. So what I do know is that we can't have nice things. What I do know is that they get fantasy and we never do. That's what I'm confident Okay, A.B., walk me. Can we just do live in fantasy world for one second? Just live here with me. Live here with me for one second. Let's dream together. I want to. Let's say that Steve Scalise, Steve Scalise puts his name up. And I I saw Anna Paulina Luna, Matt Gaetz's friend from Florida, who was not one of the eight. She was not one of the eight. So, like, now we're on top of eight people um, who who said no to McCarthy. She said that her demands for the next speaker is that they have a vote to impeach Joe Biden. And there are a couple of other crazy things. But there has to be a vote to impeach Joe Biden. Not not the inquiry. We need to have the actual – we need to move straight to the impeachment. So that's one of her demands. So let's say that Steve Scalise puts his name up but doesn't – you know, that there are six people out there, maybe not the same six, but some crazy six that have some insane demand he's not willing to make. Maybe it's about the government shutdown. Maybe it's about Ukraine, whatever. And he can't win. And he, and he has eight ballots. And he goes through eight ballots again. And we're, and we're back in the same place we were at in January. Why then couldn't what we are saying happen? I mean, like, again, I, I know why. I, I, why isn't really like the precise word. I, why is because, you know, they'd be blowing up their career with the Republicans and Republicans could hold everybody hostage and there's no assumption that they need to act responsibly. But if, if there are five people that are like, I care about Ukraine so deeply, like they all say that they do. I care about Ukraine so deeply that I want to make sure that they're funded. Why can't part of that deep care be like, I guess I'm going to have to create a coalition with the only other people that care because it's not going to be the Republicans who majority because I don't know there is not going to be somebody that gets 218 who pledges to fund Ukraine. There's no way. Nancy Mace is on Steve Bannon's podcast as we take this. That is how that is what's happening in crazy world, okay? And and these people are not going to let Ukraine funding happen. And so if if there, if there are Republicans who care about Ukraine, why couldn't they create a coalition deal? Okay, I'm just going to start by saying that Ukraine might be paired with border security and maybe someone like a Steve Scalise or a consensus pick is trying to make that argument. I'm not saying it okay. could succeed. And I would like to conclude by saying if 
I agree with you, Tim, but if it's something that I want, it never works out. <laughs> we concur that it's not going to happen. The question is just... Love, Brian Fitzpatrick as speaker is like my dream. So that's why I know it'll never happen. Well, that's fair. Okay, so very quickly on the race then, I mean, how messy do we think it could be? I mean, I, I suppose it could go one of two directions. And we talked a little bit about this last night, A.B., where if maybe Gates feels like he's got his scalp and he doesn't need to object anymore because he's got his win. He just declared victory and they can coalesce around Scalise and they'll do it on the first vote and it'll be actually pretty orderly. Or maybe not. I could, you know, does somebody else really want the job? A.B., before you answer this question, can I bring a piece of breaking news in? Because I want to hear yep. what you think, A.B., about how clean this is going to go. Andrew Solander on X News asked if he's running for speaker. Congressman Jim Jordan replies, yes. Yes. Okay. That's so the problem. Now, so now you have that piece of information. The problem is that when I asked someone this morning about it, about what the Trump factor is, and if Trump were to back Jordan, it's an unknown. That a lot of people in the in the conference, even though Jordan became aligned with McCarthy, McCarthy did, you know, really bent the knee to the Freedom Caucus, knew that was where his bread was buttered, and and Jordan became, as you guys saw, a defender of Kevin McCarthy. It doesn't mean that people want Jim Jordan to be speaker. So that there would be a big fight to stop him from becoming speaker. But there, but the unknown is whether or not Trump would do a lot to weigh in for Jordan. And that's an unknown. And I think a lot can happen. People are upset that they left. And I understand that everyone has to like cool off and everything. But people are thinking that that was a mistake. It's just between now and, and and next Tuesday is a long time. And so I don't think we know how crazy this can get, especially now that Jordan's no longer being shy. Last night he said, oh, that's a decision for the conference. And then now today he's admitting it. So, I mean, it's, it's a volatile situation. I just never believe it's going to end up in something that would be rational. And here's the problem, though, just one final point, because this relates to our previous commentary. This is going to JVL how, how one side has to, can live in fantasy politics and the other side can't. Like Jim Jordan is a preposterous speaker. He's a It's preposterous. Oh, yeah. for, the, for Jim Jordan to be the Speaker of the House, it's a ridiculous notion. He's unserious. He's an insane person. And anybody, if you gave them truth serum – off the record at one of the AB's parties in Alexandria would tell you that. Okay, there's not an, it's not like they're like, oh, Jim Jordan behind the scenes is actually pretty rational. No, like this is not the situation with Jim Jordan, okay? So now we cannot indulge the possibility that five Republicans will say, mm, I don't think so on Jim Jordan. I'd rather cut a deal with these guys over here. And it doesn't mean I'm not a Republican anymore, but I just, this is too far for me. We can't indulge that because we know that Kevin McCarthy and all these guys who are trying to pitch themselves today as supposedly serious, if the numbers are there, they will stand in line and say, yes, sir. And I will endorse Donald Trump who tried a coup for president. And I will endorse yeah. Jim Jordan, who is one of his most enthusiastic coup supporters for speaker. And then in the next breath, they will say, and the Democrats made me do it. Well, fuck mm. you. Okay, fuck you. All right. Every, these guys have agency. And, and all it takes is, is six of them to be like, nope, sorry. We saw this. All it took was eight to say no to Kevin, to Kevin McCarthy. All it takes is eight normals to say nope, sorry to Jim Jordan. And I'm just, I don't think they're going to do it. And I think that tells you everything that you need to know. It was so interesting watching Matt Gates all these weeks 
Mac Yates. I mean, when when we watched yesterday, everyone said this is the first speaker in history to be deposed through this process by his own comrades. I mean, Matt Gates went down in history yesterday. That's no small thing. This helps him in his Florida governor's race, or no? Mm. Well, he, I think so. Right, it makes like him the presumptive nominee. About that, I don't know. I mean, you know, I just think, I just think he will raise a lot of money. He was. He's a fighter. He is. And God I, made a fighter, and his name is Matt Gates. <laughs> in only in Florida does God make fighters, but um, but yeah, he is. He's kind of this car wreck you can't stop watching. And and the truth is that he will raise a lot of money. And I think that I really have this guilty, sinful pleasure of like, I laughed at his line about how it's really pathetic to call the, the, the president feeble when he stole your lunch money. Like, I don't know. That was really funny. So he will raise a shit ton of small dollars off of this. He said on the floor, I'm happy to raise, to have my campaign funded by Patriots than you guys with your lobbyists. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, Matt Gates could still be a factor, but people around him will learn from that. And it's, in the end, Matt Gates won. It, it is true that, that McCarthy gave him that because he, he allowed them to say the motion to vacate wouldn't be 10 people, it wouldn't be five, it would be one. So it's really Kevin's fault. But in the end, I don't think Matt Gates was really certain what would happen. And Matt Gates gets to go down in the history books. This is like, not lost on Republican maniacs. I, th- I think Gates was shocked that it worked. Uh, just really quick on God made a fighter. I think it's important. Yeah. This got totally lost yesterday on our on God's fighter, Ron DeSantis. <laughs> Did you guys see that last night he was on Fox while all the crazy stuff was happening? Amidst no. all of the voting, Ron what DeSantis is on Fox. Um, and well, all of the, Kevin all of the, all of the responsible conservative class who's like, we need to go to Ron DeSantis. We need we need a responsible MAGA fighter like Ron DeSantis. And the Democrats need to act responsibly. And we need somebody to be responsible. And this is a time for responsible. And it's Trump might not be, but DeSantis is. Hmm. What Mr. Responsible have to say while well, he was on Fox? Well, you know, he says he is frustrated that <laughs> the House Republicans have had a lack of productivity and mm. and there's been political hackery on the House floor. And mm. he didn't defend Kevin. He didn't defend Kevin. He was like, he's like, these guys haven't dealt with serious issues. These guys haven't solved problems like I have. So like he didn't say he was for the Gates coup, but like he was making Gates's points. So like Ron DeSantis was on Fox, like making Gates's points, but he can't be held responsible for that. He can't it's be held It's a territorial dispute between the uh, speaker and the House conference. That's exactly right, JB. It's a, it's a territorial dispute. He can't, he, he's always, always going to cop out and try to not take a stand. He didn't know where Trump would be at that time of night. You're brave that you watched Fox last night. I really couldn't. I, I, did, I wasn't actually. Think I, saw of the doing clip. It, I did whatever. watch a little bit of Bannon, but I haven't watched any Fox. But I mean, he's such a weenie. He just doesn't know where to find an opinion on this. All right. Let's spend 30 seconds on Trump for speaker. Sebastian has just let us know as we've been taping. We have a statement by Trump. A lot of people have been calling me about the speaker. All I can <laughs> say is we'll do whatever's best for the country and the Republican Party. We have some great people. We have some great, great people. People. <laughs> mm. I think you missed a key part of that. Uh, yeah. He issued that statement on the way into the thir- his third day in court. Oh, so oh. a lot of people, a right. lot of people have been asking whether Donald Trump can run from president from a courtroom, and the answer is like basically, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. he he can float his name from for speaker on his way in and out of his fraud trial. 
and nobody seems to care. Hell yeah. Nobody seems to nobody seems to be like, hey, hey, maybe, there that, is maybe no we price. should all the responsible Republicans should be like, let's let's get off this train. Nobody, nobody seems to be saying that. A reporter texted me and was like, Do you think that McCarthy will finally be able to say what he really thinks about Trump now after he's been pushed out? And I was like, ha! <laughs> ha! No, no, no. But look, you know what? Uh, I I don't know that I even blame any of these guys anymore because the voters are the ones who are demanding all of this stuff and letting this stuff happen. Well, they can I find am new sorry, voters. But Donald Trump is like floating around at 48%, 49% versus Joe Biden right now mm-hmm. while running from court. Whose fault is that? It's the fault of the stupid fucking people. That's whose fault it is. But I'm also, I'm also just so pissed about this wraparound, breathless, watching the car and the parking lot and the court built house building and then the hallway and the security guards. And I mean, when we had our staff meeting on Monday, I was in such a frothing rage about it. I had to stab myself to hold back from like screaming at all of you about how freaking mad I was that I let Fox do it for the faithful. But MSNBC and CNN lockdown of Trump arriving on Monday. It's the Bronco chase. Civil Trump. Always. And what does it do? It numbs everybody down. It's the Trump show. It normalizes. It makes it not a big deal. And in the end, um, it helps him get reelected next year and drives me out of my mind. So I know it's the voters. But it's the media, too. It is media, too. Can I just, uh, one more, uh, just a little quick fact on the Trump speaker question. There is a little hiccup. There's a little potential hiccup here. Uh, Rule 26 uh, Mm -hmm. of the House GOP conference. Mm -hmm. uh, Temporary step aside of a member of leadership who is indicted. (laughs) A member of the Republican (laughs) leadership shall step aside if indicted for a felony for which a sentence of two or more years imprisonment may be imposed. So that, well, I'm just saying that's just a little Many people for, are saying that this so-called rule is deeply unfair. <laughs> and was rigged. That's and true. was well, rigged. And the rule was written before, before the deep state, the Biden, yeah. the Biden not, crime family I'm took over so the DOJ. About, yeah. I'm not so much concerned about this. The Trump in court thing is interesting, right? He's just there doing his thing, truthing in the middle of, like, did I see this correctly? That he was sitting there in court Truthing out stuff, attacking the the court clerk. Um, the clerk, they put him under gag order, and then he deleted he he delete he deleted his comments about the clerk <laughs> and how the clerk was dating Chuck Schumer. I don't. I, I'm, I'm I'm pretty deep in MAGA world, as as you all know, but this one was even. I missed it. You know, usually like the cryptic Trump you know, uh, expanded MAGA universe, like sentences, you know, that he that he brings up about the laptop from hell and, you know, what, whoever it is, uh, you know, struck in page, the lovers quarrel and all, you know, all of his various things. Like, Thank you. I was going to say, don't forget the lovers. <laughs> Usually I know what he's talking about. I, I don't know what the genesis of the, the clerk in this court being in a relationship with Chuck Schumer was, um, I don't, I don't believe it to be true. Um, but he did, he did delete it and he did get a gag order. He's under gag order. And this, again, the whole thing is preposterous. Like that these, that there, and that, that, that has no impact on anything. 
we all we all have to just accept we all just have to accept that sure. that they guess that that it's just like another day because Joe there Biden no is expectation old, that any re- Republican will be responsible. In fact, Joe Biden is older today than he was yesterday. Can you believe that? It is an outrage. <laughs> Joe Biden older. was old yesterday, and he's even older today. Older today. And that's yeah. why the American people have no choice. There's no expectation. Not a single senator. And we're not even doing the thing. I hear ABs complain about the media. I'm so all over the place on this. I don't think we should do the Bronco chase. But on the other hand, we don't even have the stuff that was happening in 2019, which is like you know, the Garrett Hakes of the world running through the Capitol being like, Senator Crapo, like, what do you think about Donald Trump being in a gag order for, you know, attacking a, an officer of the court? Like, that doesn't even happen. Like, now, it's just like, well, there's just no expectation that any Republican will say anything about this. It's so true. But there are deep voter expectations for Democrats. Where are the questions about Millie? Where's the right. stuff about Kelly? Nothing. Nothing. It just disappears into little particles in the air now. This is one of the things I talk about all the time here, which is the the baseline asymmetry in what the public and voters expect of the parties. And this puts Democrats at such an enormous disadvantage. And and like libs and progressives get really upset about this. And they're like, well, it's the media's fault. It's not, it's the voters fault. And like, this is, this is just people. And this is, you know, it's a combination of that plus the, the the system and the way we've gerrymandered districts and the way that the Electoral College is itself functionally a gerrymander. But it's like this is a systemic problem. And it's it makes people angry because there is no solution to it so far as I can see. Right. In the same way, everyone used to say, uh, yeah, this country is polarized and people are at each other's throats. But that's just because we don't really have an enemy and. Now, if there was just some big event, some big tragedy, we'd all come together and then COVID happened. And it turned out that wasn't true at all because the people are terrible. I used to think that. That was, that was one of my talking points in 2018. Yeah. And like, look where we are. And it's it's because this is this is who the American people are right now. Yeah. Don't like it. I share this with JVL that the, the pandemic depressed me so deeply about what this country um, mm. really is and does now um, with problems and with each other. It's just, it's so dark. It was so stark. It was, it wasn't even subtle. And no, I agree. I mean, a lot of it is systemic in terms, it's a lot of it is structural and I have deep frustration with the Democratic Party that never, ever talks to the electorate about their liabilities with the Electoral College, about the fact that we're all going to be moved into a bunch of populist states, leaving the rural Republicans in the Senate in the next couple of decades with all of the power. I mean, they're, they're, right, there's no kind of education of the electorate about these things that are a huge disadvantage for the Democratic Party. Another uplifting podcast. Oh, yeah. Sorry about this. No, 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 please. Maybe this is the problem. I I would love to just fire Sarah and replace her with you, but the people would kill themselves. Okay. Like they need Sarah's. (laughs) We would have have Bulwark fans on Suicide Watch. The three of us, it's just a bad. It's just. Yeah, this is a bad. We get dark. It just goes dark. All of us go dark. I know. Tim, do you remember when we saw each other years ago? It was probably 17 or 18, but I always love this moment when I said, everyone thinks that Tim is so dark. And I said to him, we were in person at 30 Rock, and I was like, Tim, 
If he is reelected, maybe it was in 19, there will be tanks in the street and women will not be allowed to work. And he's like, okay, AB, I actually have not gone that dark yet. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That was the that's, real Tim Miller. That is true. That did happen. I always say, I've always, I've, I bring this up to people. I'm like, the only people darker than me during the 20 election were AB and Stuart Stevens. I was like, that there, because they were, they were plotting their escape to Quebec City. Oh, no question. One more thing we have on our show map is Republican donors. Mm. So, Tim, you have been banging on about this uh, rightly, the insanity of the donor class. And here's another fantasy politics question for you. Why are these Republican donors not voting for Joe Biden? Why are they not supporting? Because unlike, you know, like these are just rich people. And when you're rich, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. You're not actually beholden to anybody. Like, it's like your social circle will drop you. No, they won't because they're all rich people too, right? You can find yeah. new rich friends. Or new people that'll do whatever you say. Most right. of these people have a circle around them of people that own, that just do whatever they want because they're like, you know, they have multiple people on payroll. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm interested in AB's take on this because she's a little bit closer to that crowd than me. And my short answer is their bubble. Like, and I think that this, the, the Youngkin thing, and, and A.B. wrote about this some, is just so revealing about the, like, how thick their bubble is in the world that they live. Oh, uh, I'm you know? always being told that it's Democrats who are in a bubble. And they need to get out of it and go go <laughs> after those white working class voters and stop pushing their, their you know, gender reassignment surgeries on four-year-olds. I think we all have our own bubbles. Okay. Some of them are more penetrable than others. And I just think the rich Republican donors bubble is, is, is on the thicker end of the spectrum. How they believe this, I do not know. It's related to narcissism. It's related to once you've gotten rich, you think you're good at everything. I, like So how they still believe this, I do not know. Because I met three old friends of mine. I was in Iowa when I was covering uh, DeSantis and Vivek. There was that, uh, what do you call it, the cattle call. And I saw a couple mm -hmm. people I know. And I was like, oh, do you work for one of these candidates? I didn't know that. I haven't seen you in years. And they're like, no, donor X, whose name I won't say, sent me here to do recon because we're trying to figure out who to support. And mm. I was like, oh, got it. Okay. And you got to spend like, money to be on the ground to figure out what Vivek is all about. Yeah, exactly. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, we're going to see how it's going out there. No wonder these and, people got rich. They got rich because capitalism works. And so the thing is, they believe that they have this power. They believe it. They're like, if I just put the right million in the right place with the right strategist at the right time, I will be able to be the kingmaker. And I will be the person that the, the Glenn Youngkin calls, you know, when he is, you know, making his state dinner invites, right? I, and I just, I do think they, I think they also have some, just like we said about Kevin, they also have some genuine views about, you know, <laughs> creative destruction and small governance and, and all this. They have some genuine views, but mostly it's like they think that they can still control this and they can't. And I don't know what more they need to see besides the siege of the Capitol to know that they've lost control of this. But anyway, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. And a handful of them have stopped, but, but many, many, many continue to live in their delusion. I don't know. AB, what do you think about that? It's so depressing to me because... I think what they're trying to do is stop Trump. And when somebody at the golf club says, what are you doing trying to spend money to stop Trump? They say, come on, we're really worried about what it's going to look like when he's in courtrooms next year and he could lose to Joe Biden. And we're trying to save the country from Joe Biden, actually, by trying to help Glenn win or Nikki or something. And they believe when they gather at these meetings coming up in October, 
that A, they can either convince Glenn Youngkin or B, they can convince the campaigns. They're not going to see Nikki Haley and Rhonda Sanders in person, but convince the campaigns to go home and say, listen, you've been chosen as number one, Nikki, or Nikki, they've chosen Ron, and you need to understand that they're going to starve your campaign, not give you another dollar. You need to play nice. And then in the future, you will be remembered for playing nice and your career will be helped by this. And so that's clearly what's going on is that they believe, like you described, Tim, that they can control things and that they have the power to get these huge egos to back away at the right time so they can consolidate the GOP primary. And that's really, consolidating is really important because Trump's at 62. So you want to be able to consolidate to you want to be able to get, get, get that fifteen percent <laughs> right really exactly. close exactly. around right. exactly it is it is remarkable um, but I don't object to that honestly like if they want to try to stop Trump this way but my question is like once Trump is the nominee which is gonna, what's going to happen barring a health event why won't they just Flip and go help Biden. They are not going they're closer to. to Biden on all the substantive issues. They are not going to. They are going. No, I know to they're not going to. But why not? Why? Because they will be accosted in the golf shop at that point. Right now, their friend Marshall is saying, "Why is trying to support these packs to stop Trump?" And they're saying what I just said. We're trying to spare the country from Joe Biden, who is a senile socialist. And then next fall, they are not going to be backing Biden or do as I suggested, which is to say, if you can't support Joe Biden, you just have to vote for Republicans down ballot and leave the top blank, because then they will be accosted by the people in their bubble, in their bubble. Because don't tell me these people hang around only in a never Trump bubble. They're not real never Trumpers. They're not trying to save democracy. Do rich people ever have people say no to them, though? No. They have people around them who are Trump supporters saying, what are you doing supporting a, a senile socialist? They can't do that. No, no, no. They can't do that. They will have to be on the side of the silent, reluctant, you know, it's binary Trump supporter next year. None of them are going to help us out next year. Wow. I wish we had a few more wives. Like, like um, you know, like we need some of their wives to, like, be nagging them. And I just, I don't think that's happening. Are they um, all divorced? Yeah, I mean, I think this is why when you, once you're on wife three, you know, you're not getting a lot of pushback. Because this is in my peer set, the non-billionaire peer set. I have seen the the 2016 to 2020, the wife saying to the husband, "You're an asshole. I can't believe you voted for him." That had an impact. That helped. That made a difference. Those those women. I know that I know that white women sometimes are maligned in in progressive spaces, but those white women nagging their husbands made a big difference. And if you look at the white male suburban vote, it mattered. I just don't think at the billionaire level that works. Unfortunately, hmm. they can't be anti-Trump next year. That's great because just like <laughs> Kevin, they hope to be lobbying the second term of Donald Trump. Good God. Okay. Uh, breaking news: Jim Banks has just backed Jim Jordan for speaker. <laughs> so that's, that's a vote great. of confidence right there. Does Buckley so still work great. for Jim Banks? I don't know. All right. Uh, did you want to do any kids sports stuff, yes. Timothy? Or should we should we get out of here? Because it's been a pretty it's an okay show. Let's it's been a pretty good sports. show, but it's also been quite long. 
Okay. I defer to JVL, who watches the clock and knows how a long show could get too long. So yeah, I do. It's, I'm here. I live to serve. I serve to live. I, right. I, I want, I'm looking to want. both of you guys for guidance. Okay, I have a two-part right. question of guidance, and I just want to hear from both of you on it. Uh, JVL is wonderful... very on point because she has a basketball-playing dog. Okay, JVL had a wonderful newsletter, to, if, if people missed it, that they should go back and read. And looking at you, Sarah Longwell, about just kids' sports culture and how it's and how it's gotten too intense. And that, plus another experience I've been wanting to ask JVL about that I had recently, it leads to this two-part question. Part one, how do I be a normal parent? Because in my brain, I wanted to be a normal parent, but we went. I went to the first basketball game mm-hmm. of my child's thing last Saturday, and, and the coach is an idiot, and he's not teaching them how to play, and she's, she's, she's very skilled. Like, she's a great dribbler and shooter and stuff, but she doesn't know what's happening. Like, she doesn't know the rules, and, like, the coach is not helping them. And I, like... And I'm trying on the sidelines to not be like, not be like, hey, you you can pass or, you know, you can steal it. <laughs> like, run this way. I'm trying not to do that. Tom, my husband is looking at me. He's like, wait a minute. Are you going to be an insane parent? Like, he's like, divorce might be happening. He's looking at me and he's like, I, I thought you were going to be chill. And I was like, I, don't, I was like, I don't know. Maybe. So anyway, question one is how do I be chill? Okay. Question two is after reading about your your comments about Flash and elite sports, Maybe I should just like pull the lyric cord right now, and we should just say no. Actually, we're gonna do, we're gonna do drama or space club or something. Like look at the stars or something a little more chill. So anyway, that's my two part question. Taken in either order. Well, I mean, the problem is at the drama level, there's already the hyper, you know, focused elite drama stuff too. You can't escape that. We are probably five years away. By the time your daughter is in middle school, we will probably have like travel robotics clubs. So (laughs) like this is the the creep that we now have on everything that children do. Uh On something like basketball here, I mean, I will give you an honest and very earnest answer, which is that I would stay away from organized basketball for as long as humanly possible, uh, which is what I did with Flash. So Flash was not allowed to play on a base. He wanted to play baseball starting at age five. And what we did is we we did catch and baseball drills in the front yard for like five years before I finally led him onto a team because it is much more important to have touches on the fundamental unit of a sport. Much more important at getting the kid good or much more important at mental health? Because right now I'm focused on mental health of father and child, most importantly. Not, uh, not, I'm not trying to maximize WNBA potential. You know, b- both though. Much more important for you to spend time shooting around with her and like being at the playground together and doing drill, just like having fun together that way than for her to be on a on an organized team playing with organized practices and organized games. Kids get very little out of that at the age level you're you're talking about. You know, at the, the five, six, seven, eight, nine-year-old level, there's very little to be gained in terms of growth or enjoyment from like the organized culture of, of sports, my view. But but AB, who raised an actual basketball player. Uh, okay, AB. How, so the two-part okay. question, once again, was one, how do I not be a crazy parent? And two, yeah, edibles. Is, it just, is it just exactly. hopeless? Like, is, is competitive sports just too toxic to even care about, to even do? So I, I have complicated feelings. And okay. Once again, it's that... It's that lonely centrist feeling where I have opinions in both camps, but I'm alone in the middle. Um, 
you are going to get thrown out of games by refs and you are going to keep like some a parent serious or a resentment on your daughter from the coach by flailing in games. I, I, I understand how that. tempting it is, but the tiger dad thing never works in, in kids sports. So what you do is you, you on the drive there and on the drive home and then at home when you're like playing pickup in the, in the driveway, you teach her all the skills. That's what my husband did, but you do not ever do it near the coach or near the refs or near the other parents. So um, edibles, I guess, is the answer during yes, the game. That is I the still haven't got you. a good answer because I need to still be there, but not not talk. That's challenging. As people who listen to this podcast know, being somewhere and not talking is very hard for me. Because continue, right? Edibles, maybe. Yeah, it's hard. You can't coach your own daughter from the sidelines. Also, by the time you're in a game, you can't give any useful advice. Right. Right. All, all the growth happens at practices. I had three children in um, 22 months. I had twins and then another. So they were raised like triplets. They should have been two grades apart, but ended up one grade apart because of the calendar, the time that they were that they were born. So Lily was right behind the twins. And they all, what we did was we did chess club, yoga, ice skating, karate, everything, tennis. And then they all picked basketball at ages five and seven. And so because she, they were not only children and they were siblings, the best thing for them was to let them all pursue basketball at the same time with different people on different teams. And so we ended up in the most insane, we did AU, we did other travel teams, we did our school teams, and we did our county rec teams. My kids were on a minimum of three basketball teams every season. My son would often be on five, four or five. We did this for their entire childhood. My father lectured me that I was caught up in some crazy generational trend that was going to ruin the family structure and ruin my life because we were we were at two hour practices at some some weekends we had 12 games and so we could not see them we would be passing off to other parents we'd be fighting over i thought you were gonna we're gonna pack his lunch no he's gonna pick up pizza with the rogers family no no and the kids standing there holding their backpacks it was complete bedlam at every level i do not think our travel teams did enough while they were making good money and we were going to nationals in Florida and Tennessee and everywhere else to actually subsidize kids who need it. We did subsidize as groups of parents, some kids who should be in the programs, but I believe looking back, not enough. And in the end, there were families there trying to get their, their kids to the NBA or get a college scholarship while we were just trying to keep our kids happy and busy and taking direction and sometimes scolding from adults. We thought that was actually really a great thing. Discipline, scheduling, character building, team unity, everything that JVL has talked about so much, which is the beautiful side of sports. They're teens now, right? They're teens. Oh, no, no, no. no. They're tw- the, they're twins, the twins are college seniors and Lily's a college junior. Okay. And Lily's playing club basketball. So, so Anna dropped away from from basketball, middle school. Nick and Lily were varsity players in high school. And then Lily is the most passionate and plays club because she's at Fairfield and that's a D1, not a D3. She didn't want to go. She was recruited for D3, but didn't want to go because 
Um, she didn't want to be a school that small. Fairfield's around 5,000. Anyway, long story, I'll wrap up by saying I would cut my arm off to go back to any of these games. We, it was so good for our family in so many ways. At the same time, we never, ever, ever had like chill weekends as a family. We, if, if there was, if games were canceled because of some snow or something, I called it a wow weekend, a wide open weekend where we'd be like, well, now it's time to just be that normal family who like goes downtown to the national gallery. And my kids would be like, I don't think so. And so there was so much that I look back Mm. that I feel that we missed out on because we were on an insane schedule. And so there's no, for me, it's like, I'm just so torn. You know, I think there's so many advantages to it, but at the same time, as JBL writes yesterday, and I really urge everyone to read it because it really fleshes out so much of this really, is it really important that we build these structures that our kids feel pressured to get into? And it's only getting worse to be on a travel blah, blah, blah by the time you're in third grade, because you just have maybe a little bit of talent in this area and people around you push you and it's, it's so complicated. I'm considering the Benedict option after listening to this, but I do I appreciate that feedback. There's some things that sound nice about it, but it's a little concerning. lovely. Wonderful. It's a little it's, alarming though. My the kids intensity. like still think it was the best thing. Like literally that just that they learned how to be in practice and games until at this time of night, do your homework on the bus. In so many ways, it was wonderful. I gotta say, the the overriding maxim I have for this stuff is intentionality on the parents' part. Like, don't just get pulled into stuff or told like, oh, you know, Cindy should be on this team. Like, okay, if Cindy's friends are gonna be on that team, Go talk to them, but make, we got to make sure that like the club's values are aligned with your values. Like one of the things we did with Flash is, you know, every travel program we looked at, we had a very frank conversation with the coach. We we're like, hey, so family is going to come first all the time and he's going to miss games. He's going to miss practices from time to time because he'll have like, a, you know, like a cousin's confirmation or something. And so we're going to go to see a baptism or a confirmation instead of to a tournament. And, you know, any coach that like even hesitated on that, we were like, no, this isn't a good, good fit for you guys. So you got to make sure that make sure that you're in uh, an organization where the values align with how you guys want to be running your family. I think that's that's deeply that's good advice. That's good advice. I'm feeling very seen by Sebastian in the comments who writes, my mom always yelled like the players could hear her and were deeply invested in the plays that she was calling from the sidelines. This was <laughs> this was me at five-year-old basketball game one until I, I, until I saw the look on my husband's face and I, I considered the divorce possibility, at which point I, I, I decided to look at my phone a little more. Honestly, th this, is, this is a universal piece of advice for parents. The only thing you should do from the sidelines at games is cheer for all of the kids and shout encouragement to all of the kids. And not just your own. That's it. So and occasionally, important. right, for all the kids, both both sides, both teams, right? And and occasionally uh, make jokes at at their expense, right? Yeah. You know, and like aggressively when, yeah. chew Nicorette gum. I, I guess, <laughs> I guess. But like, they're, don't try coaching. Don't 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 ever ever criticize the the refs. Don't ever do that in baseball. This is a thing which like. You will sometimes see, because, you know, in baseball, half the time the umpires are like 14-year-old kids. And I have seen, like, adults screaming from the stands at, like, some 14-year-old for not getting a call precisely the way they... And I just, like, want to tear my hair out. Like, don't don't ever do that. I've seen those dads thrown out. 
and um, of games multiple times. But but JVL's right, Tim. Not only do you have to be on mute in terms of your coaching, but you have to make a point to cheer on other kids. It's really important that your kid sees that, that the coach sees that, and that those other kids feel supported by someone besides their own mom or dad. Like you just gotta, you gotta be in there and be like, good fight, Kelsey, you know, and just not focus on Toulouse. It's so it's, it's kind of part of your obligation. That part I got. When it's, when it's, when it's, when they're this young, but then you'll feel it also when they're 17. It's weird. It's like, that's kind of your job. You're just never allowed to be like, deny, deny. Like you can't steal, steal, <laughs> steal. I was like, she, he, she Get gets that it. She wants to shit out of here. That's right. This is our house. Uh, and, and anybody who's made it this long is deep enough in our oeuvre to know. I love my friend, uh, my, my friend of me, Clay Travis, the MAGA sports podcaster turned uh, news podcaster. He recently was ejected from a from his <laughs> child's baseball game for arguing with an umpire. And I'm just, I feel like I'm just going to bookmark that like little news story on, on my phone. And every time I go to the game, I look at it and I'll be like, don't be Clay Travis. You do not want to get go. ejected by an umpire from a child's, from a child's sporting event. All right. Good show. <laughs> very, very long show. Very AB, long. thank you for coming. We'll maybe let you sit in for Tim next time. We probably won't do this exact alignment because it's a little too dark. We need. I, oh, I thought it was going to be you and me together. We got to have literally, Sarah. Yeah, this is literally one of the things when when this discussion of me coming to the bulwark came up. I was like, I don't know if like, are you bringing more darkness to the bulwark? Like, what is always, that about? Always more. Darkness. <laughs> All right, uh, guys. Uh, if you're new here, hit the subscribe button, mash the subscribe button, uh, give us five stars, give us a thumbs up. All that stuff helps in the algorithms, both for YouTube and for the podcast. We will see you on Sunday. Bye.